Welcome to the Human Side of Research, conversations to inspire and help you advance in your scientific career. Today, we talk about psychological safety, diversity, and inclusivity with Professor Giovanni Bertotti. But having inclusion means people having everybody feeling part of the organization and feeling really encouraged to give their opinion. He notes that being a critical thinker works well in academia, but it can also backfire. You don't want to get the label of criticast of critical person here. You don't want to be the get the label that you're always negative, that you want to open agreements again, because once you get the label, then you're out. Universities' attempts to improve psychological safety in the workplace show good intent and effort. However, which attempts are most effective remain unclear. Or the university is not a learning community, because if you don't have guidelines, if you don't have evalu- reporting and you don't have evaluation, you cannot learn. You'll keep on doing random things, maybe without really learning from what you're doing. And this is the, this is the, this is the tension which we are, we are now. There is a strong wish, but to make this operational, this is complicated. And that inspires him to work bottom up. And this is really part of what I see as my mission, really what I call empowerment. Really to stimulate as much as possible discussion among the students, among the young staff members, PhDs and so on. So that really there is also some, some pressure from, from, from the bottom. But for the moment, it's very much uh, top down. To hear more about Giovanni's insights as a diversity and inclusivity officer, his own experience with microaggressions and best practices for researchers who want to make a change for themselves and each other, stick around. Hello, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Giovanni Bertotti, as you hear from Italian origin. Done, I'm a geologist, so my speciality is to look deep into the earth, and deep means uh, several kilometers. That's a place where you don't know what's happening. So this is a work which is very much curiosity-driven, and I'm therefore a kind of specialist of looking at things which are complicated, which you don't know, which might be contradictory. So it's a bit like human beings. I've uh, done my PhD in Switzerland, and then I've done. I spent a couple of years until and then I came in the Netherlands in 1991. I fell in love with Amsterdam and I thought this is a good place to stay. And then in 2010, I moved to Delft in the engineering world. And then now since a couple of years, I'm working also as a diversity officer, a faculty diversity officer, and at the same time as director of the faculty graduate school, which is busy with the welfare and support of PhD candidates. That's my background. If we if we talk about uh, um, the DNI officer role that you have, we talk about diversity and inclusivity. Uh, how broad is that diversity and inclusivity focus of yours? It's, it's very broad. Now the, there is a central uh, diversity and inclusion office, which now since two years is quite strong. There is a very active director, office central officer, and has a staff. And then this central office is organized in faculty levels. And uh, after some soft persuasion from the central uh, office, then also this faculty decided to name me a faculty diversity officer, which is now one and a half years ago. And uh, I'm basically, I'm paid one day a week, but I don't have staff, I don't have so, and I have a mandate to do everything I want. So, so let me paint a picture. You meet up with someone in the hallway, it's a colleague of yours, and your inner DNI officer is interested. 
uh, in how they experience their work. What kind of questions do you ask to get a good estimate? Yeah, the scene is something which I uh, experience fairly often because of my character a bit. But what happens is imagine that you have a department meeting and the department meeting here in the, our department, we would have something like typically kind of 20, 30 people present. And uh, a couple of important topics, uh, topics are on the agenda. And there is usually the long story made by the department head and somebody else. And then there is a discussion. Basically, nobody says anything. And then after the meeting, somebody comes to my room or I meet somebody and asks, why didn't you say anything? And then uh, this person said, yeah, I did not really felt okay to say, I felt really kind of uh, in doubt or not strong enough to say something. Now, this is really for me the small thermometer, the small sign that not everybody feels safe enough to, to give their opinion. That's something which happens very often. I see. Is it, is it mostly in meetings, when you have big meetings in the numbers that you just mentioned, or does it also occur in different set, uh, settings? Well, this happens uh, happens uh, it, in various levels, happens in meetings, but you have a similar behavior when you see that, for instance, when uh, some projects are, uh, are started and, and pursued by the, by the faculty or by the department, you see that, in fact, a lot of people are not present. Those who pull do things are always a small uh, group of people. And obviously this is part of the business. But what you see is that most of the people who have a kind of critical thinking and so on are not involved. Either they are not asked to participate or themselves decide not to participate. And I think this is a big, big issue. And also one of the things we discuss is what is the difference between uh, academia and, and, and a company. And I think academia is really based on motivation. So if we are, uh, as, an, uh, as an organization, we are not doing everything we can to motivate people, to cherish this motivation, this enthusiasm, then we are not doing a good job. So our job is not to make money. Our job is to, to progress knowledge and to progress uh, culture. And this is why really you need the motivation of the people. So for me, seeing when people decided not to participate or to keep their opinion. This is, for me, a sign that there is things which should and must be improved. I see. Very much interested also to know how that impacts work in general, the, 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 the purity, perhaps, of the research being done, but that might be for later. Um, is there anything that surprised you in the first meetings uh, or, or uh, talks you had with colleagues like this? You say, it's also my personality, it's not only the position that you have. So over the past few years, did people surprise you with the answers they gave you to the questions you just mentioned? Uh, yes, because I thought that the beginning was really only a question that people are very much under pressure. There is really very an, an unhealthy high working pressure and the people were kind of choosing to do one thing rather than the other one. But then more and more, uh, while I was listening, I was hearing also that there was a bit of this, uh, this safety issue. They decided no, it's, not, it's a battle they don't want to start. And this is really taking away the, the, the essential blood of a, of, a, of a university because I said, if I don't bring my, my ideas, if we don't really have a broad spectrum of ideas, then, then the university loses, in my view, loses really its essence. It's really raison d'etre, really reason for, for being there. So the difference is that I'm becoming aware that there is a bit of a pattern behind this and that this pattern is real, has also to do with safety. It has also to do with safety, 
and on the other side from uh, the university or the faculty or the department not actively searching for different ideas but actively you have to do this rather than simply saying what uh, does anybody have any question this is not really searching you really need to search this uh, what has happened before that the university decided to invest more well, there is a lot of, there have been obviously an increasing pressure from society and, and this has obviously started, the Netherlands has started later than, for instance, the UK or the US and, uh, and technical universities and engineering where they tend to be a bit more conservative, especially good universities like this universities where a lot of people tend rather to think uh, we're good in this, we're good in that and they tend to say that small problem, whatever this means, a small problem and they are uh, it's, as long as they are small, we don't have to worry about this because we are good. Now, there's been a social pressure very much in Crete in the last couple of years, and therefore it started trickling down from the university, from the, from the border. Uh, so this is something which has come from the top down, the bottom, not vice versa. And then the faculty, the university board decided to install a graduate school, uh, sorry, a diversity uh, school office. The first four or five years was a one person with little instruments. Now they have a strong one, a strong person, very active. And this is then pushing down. So in our case, uh, it's really been a top-down process. I see. Driven very much by society. There is, uh, unfortunately, is really not enough, uh, enough uh, pressure from, from below. And this is really part of what I see as my mission, really what I call empowerment really to stimulate as much as possible discussion among the students, among the young staff members, PhDs, and so on, so that really there is also some, some pressure from, from, from the bottom. But for the moment, it's very much uh, top-down. And, and it, it, was there anything that surprised you, uh, perhaps about the nature of people or the nature of academia, the nature of the Dutch uh, that plays a major role in these dynamics? I think part of this is the is the negative side of being optimistic. Being optimistic and dynamic is a good thing, obviously. But sometimes it translates in 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 a phenomenon by which, uh, uh, for instance, we have regular service where we see that, for instance, I don't know, there there is a service which say that there is ten percent, fifty percent of serious harassment issues. Or there is a report about PhDs, and this is the group which I know fairly well where there is, a, there is something between 30 and 40% of PhDs who judge their welfare as fair or worse. Now, the, the optimistic side, which I call a translator and saying, and this I'm quoting a colleague of mine, he said, oh, for me, the glass is always half full. Now, this is not the attitude which we should have. And psychologically, people, they have a kind of boundary between 10 and 50%. And they say, if there is 10, 50% harassment, if there is less than 10, 15% harassment, oh, it's okay. It's, the world is not perfect. It's, you know, there is a complication. So we should, we, we can live with this. If it starts getting above this kind of thresholds, and then unfortunately, they, we have to take care of it. So this is really the negative side of being optimistic, being dynamic, wanting to reach things, which have all positive sides. But this is not an attitude which you should apply to, to, to safety, to human problems and how organization is structured. This is really one of the things which I'm, we, various people, we would like to change, that you see 
problems or challenges, not a sign of weakness, not of things which unfortunately are there, we have to solve them, but really is an opportunity to improve your organization. And this is a big, this is a big thing because so it's dynamic, we are successful, and you hear so often that we are successful, we are the best in the world, but this is not the right attitude to look for ways to change. So this is a bit my big challenge talking about this. As I said, but I really appraise very much this Dutch optimism. There is dynamics, there is possibilities and so on. But if this translates in the glass is always half full, and, uh, then I'm not so happy. <laughs> yeah, especially when it comes to a rotten apple in the culture. Of course, that can lead to a snowball effect where the whole culture is uh, infected with something that's not in the end, productive for the university, right? So um, we're talking about human dynamics and when something is going wrong there, then it can spread very quickly to other areas as well. And then soon you'll have more than 10 Could be, could be, of... or maybe the some things even they remain on 10%. My point, I make the comparison mm. with science. And in science, in doing research, we are used to look for the smallest signal. And so I'm always staggered by when you, I read, it's not my field, but I read projects from astronomy. And they get these mini, mini, mini signals coming from uh, millions of light years away from uh, God only knows. And these they have to spend huge amount of time to make the statistic to see if that mini, mini signal is significant. And they are not working with the 10%. They are working for a 0.0000001% because in that signal, there might be really something important information. This is the way we should work because the information is sometimes the small things. And this is really a DNI policy. You hear by definition the voice of the big guys. You don't hear the, the we use the word now, marginalized groups. So these are groups which are not necessarily... Uh, minorities in terms of numbers, but you don't hear these voices or they have very feeble voices. And this is really something which we need to look for because they, by definition, they don't speak. It's like this, you, it's like history is always written by the winners and you're interested in not in the story of the winners, you're interested in the other part of the story. But these, by definition, they don't speak loud because others, so they will not be marginalized. So this going and searching for these feeble thing is really the way, the way the, what we need to, to do because we want to really to have everybody part of this organization, contributing to this part of the organization, not having diversity only in terms of numbers, but to have inclusion means people having everybody feeling part of the organization and feeling really encouraged to give their opinion. So that's a bit the that's a bit the 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 idea of really searching for small signals because this can this is what we can improve. If we're able to do this, we can improve very much as an organization. Are we talking about only job satisfaction, or would you say the importance of this um, trajectory of improving uh, psychological safety affects many other factors as well when it comes to? Uh, how effective the science is that you do, or how it affects creativity and innovation. How do you see these um, these dynamics, group dynamics, affect the things when we value most in science? Yeah, I think this is a good question. There is a, there is enough. There is quite a lot of studies showing that companies uh, which are diverse 
are more profitable than companies which are not diverse, which is a kind of interesting issue. But there they can measure it easily. And it seems, eh? I mean, companies, eh? we're not talking about charity organization, we're not talking about political organization, we're, we're talking about really completely capitalist and business-oriented companies. There seems to be, this is a, an, an accepted fact. And and I've always asked myself, what, why, why is it? What, what, what is the, the, the deep reason behind it? And why, how could we look, apply this also to universities? And to me, the answer is really that a diverse organization and is an organization which is able to, to, to listen, to capture the signal which I was mentioned before. And this is a key thing for innovation. If you keep, if you remain in the same old boy network and the same group and always too much full with yourself, with your compliments to yourself that you're doing, this is really something which prevents innovation. And I think a real innovation starts from a deep felt curiosity, which means uh, that you don't have to judge too much that you would be good and done this and this and fine, it could be. But they should be really strive this constant thing to improve things, to look for things on how to improve. And this is what driving innovation. It's difficult to judge if, in fact, we are, we are for instance, less innovative than, for instance, Eindhoven. Mm-hmm. But you see, Eindhoven, they search very much, for instance, this was this issue to have some position reserved for women. They've been called back, it was not possible, and so on, but they keep on trying. So you've, you have the experience, you have the feeling that they're really trying to push the boundaries because for them, this is a big value. And searching to push your boundaries, this is when you, be, you need to be creative, to find ways to do it, ways to cheat the system or improve the system. And this is really kind of stimulating ideas rather than falling back. So, oh, we're doing good things and uh, let's see how to do it. So that's really, that's really, I think, that the this is the, the eye of inclusion. This is something which can really drive innovation, can really drive dynamics in the, in the, in the, in the organization. And how, how do you see it affect people's career choices? I mean, on an individual level, uh, when you take a look at the hierarchy between uh, uh, layers of management or professorship or uh, whether you're a postdoc, a PhD candidate, it's kind of a straight line if you want to get to the position of professorship, right? So what role do you see uh, the psychological safety play in the choices people make in their career? Um, now this is the this is the situation where we are now. We are now in a situation where we have a big discrepancy. On one side, there is really, and this has been one of the nice things of the last year, the need to to increase diversity, to increase innovation, to increase inclusion is something which is discussed everywhere. So there is this really. This really is coming from above, but also uh, the dean has appointed me, and there is discussion going on. So the energy is there. The problem now is linking this energy, this, these wishes, these desires to link them, to translate in the daily life and what you call, for instance, the career developments. And there you have the numbers are not really working very well. So we're not really performing very well in, in what you can measure, which can be the number of women uh, in the sense that we're not really doing well. If there is improvements, these are very slow and it's a bit of a long discussion and so on. But beside the, the numbers, this wish is kind of colliding 
with the with the uh, with the way this university and this faculty works, which is very hierarchical and is very much based on on uh, poorly defined rules. And this is typically how old boy networks work. They they share a background, they share their knowledge, they share their language, and so on. So one complaint which, which you hear very often from from staff member, but also from PhDs and so on, is that things are not decisions are not transparent, not in the sense that people are hiding, but you don't know. For instance, there is little reporting talking about DNI, for instance. There is a number we are doing, uh, we're doing an overview of what we call support and report instances, people, places or persons or offices where you can report episodes of harassment. And very few of these, for instance, produce a report. Very few of them tell how they work. So there is a lack of transparency and, uh, and reporting, and so you have this on one side, there is this widely felt need to be, trans to, be to, to have clarity on how things work, to avoid unclear situation, but the, the way the, the, the university, the faculty works until now is very much on assumptions which are not written, which are not nowhere to be found, and therefore there is no report, and therefore the university is not a learning community. We, because if you don't have guidelines, if you don't have reporting and you don't have evaluation, you cannot learn. You'll keep on doing random things, maybe without really learning from what you're doing. And this is the, this is the, this is the tension which we are, we are now. There is a strong wish, but to make this operational, this is complicated. When it comes to that, to that um, um, the, the monitoring and evaluating um, the current state of affairs, uh, that there is no openness or not enough openness, do you think that's also a sign of lack of uh, psychological safety? Like, is it kind of a feedback loop? Or do you think, oh, it has more to do with that people aren't used to monitoring this kind of behavior, feelings of safety? Uh, in this university. The people, you mean the, 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 the customers, so to speak, or those or the university organizers? The organizers. Now, I think it's, no, I think it's more, it's a bit of combination of two things. On one side is that, but you see this also in politics, it's, it's much easier to start something new rather than, than uh, uh, modifying or improving what you already have. Mm -hmm. And this is because you know, it's like it's easier to buy a building, to build a building rather than to keep it then in the 10 or 20 years afterwards. So now for these, uh, for these uh, what I call entry points, these are places where you can report and we could talk about support. So well-being of people, there's a lot of people are really on the verge of burnout, on, they're not performing well and so on. And then what I call report, a report for harassment and so on. And uh, we've been doing a, an inventor. There's a huge amount of these places. There's a huge amount. There's something like between 10, 15 and so on. Many of those are poorly visible. You don't know exactly where you are. Not even Google finds them. And they're, they're not clear in what their workflow is. And, and now discussions are to put another one because these are not functioning well. Instead of saying, okay, let's redesign the entire thing. Let's simplify the entire thing. Let's make things visible. Then they are trying to patch it with a, with another one, with a something else. So this is a bit of the difficulty of short time management. This is a it's a political problem which we 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 have in, in many situations. And the other one is that too often there is really not enough heart behind this. So this is this is really urgent because we have a detachment. Because the contradiction is that you have these all these entry points, none of these is used to capacity. 
none of those has really the 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 a, a, a row of people waiting in front of it. So there is a mismatch between the need and apparently on the other side we have a a plethora, a large range of things which are not used. So the, there is a mismatch there, and we are not. We, we should really improve our way to 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 bring these two things in in contact. Perfect. Very, 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 no, very, very clear. Very clear. And and, and um, while still quite abstract as well, because I, I I would love for our listeners to also hear what kind of practical things do you do? What would you suggest in a very pragmatic sense that universities or faculties do in general to have more uh, grip on on these improvements? For instance, when I, uh, as a trainer, am in front of a group uh, last week, I was working with a group of, uh, it was a team of six people working in an educational setting specifically also. Um, and these people said, well, there are some things that don't feel safe in our group. We're not all part of a, of a good dynamic, but they, they didn't dare to call names out. So they just said, yeah, certain colleagues of ours at this table um, find it hard to do well whatever, whether it was being on time or being critical about each other's work and so forth. But the fact that they didn't dare to mention each other's name was part of the artificial harmony. Um, so they thought that they kept it safe by not saying any names. But once they decided during our session last week to actually call out names, it was clear. It was out in the open. So when it comes to these kind of practical things to change in our behavior to address things differently. Can you give a few examples of uh, what you see going wrong, perhaps in the work floor, where we think we're being very safe and that we're doing the right thing, but it actually works counterproductive at times? Um, well, I don't think that, I don't think that, uh, I think that the, the issue which you raise is uh, very widespread. I think a lot of people don't want to to make names, and they said, but I said it was even coming, was even at the level, an earlier level, that people even prefer decide not to say different opinions, not even talking about names. And I was talking with students organization last week, and they say they, it's a small track, so they, that, but they are afraid of making criticism because they would immediately see who they are talking about. And this is this is an issue. So they're uh, they're the the the. The thing which I try to improve is really to think of ways in which you can have a feedback, but you have you need to preserve anonymity. We are not there yet at the moment of, of making names. I don't think that we are there. Not even, not even in at my level, at the professorial level, and 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 this is a bit. This is really cultural change, and which we need to have. We are not. This is a paradox huh? because to me, in my romantic picture of university, universe is the place of, of critical thinking, is the place where you have discussion, open discussion. I mean, if we don't have the open discussion here, we are not going to have open discussion in the private companies. I mean, if we don't have it here, where else? To me, this is, well, this happens very often that we are not good in, in handling contrast of different opinions even at the same same hierarchical level and we can go deep bit deeper into this if we want but going back to our thing i think would be useful for instance to have a imagine for instance a digital system where you have a, where after decisions taken by department the faculty and so on 
you ask uh, the opinion of people. You send an email, like the, I mean, hotels are evaluated, you know, they, you get the stars, good or bad system, but there is a requirement of some form of feedback, and we don't have this. There is no, there is no way to, to search in a proactive manner for search for opinions of people. You can do anonymous and so on. I have no problem with this at this stage. It would be nice also to have names. But we, we really would like to have this system in place where people are asked, what do you, what, what is, a bit more than at the end of the meeting when everybody's looking at the watch where you need to go and then what they say, a different opinion, okay, bye-bye. No, a bit more, maybe you can put it kind of compulsory. I mean, booking.com, they really hassle you really with three or four mails and so on. And then if you start clicking one place, there's 20 other questions coming. So there is really a lot of pressure. And this is something which we, I think we should do. I think I was referring to this uh, to this discussion uh, to open open discussion and and there is really a cultural thing. This is really again, the Netherlands is built very much on on a culture of consensus, which again has really a lot of values. But the but the, if this means that, that that we cannot handle tough confrontation in a constructive manner, then this consensus becomes compromised at a lower level. And this is something which for me it. I think it's a pity again because this is really where it's place where you should have tough discussions. But too often I fall, we fall in this phenomena, which I call uh, the. There is this old saying. I think they say it comes from China, that when a person shows to the points the finger to the moon, then the imbeciles they look at the finger. And this is something which we something which happens very often, and it happens to me, but it happens much more frequently, for instance, to women, that as soon as one has a, a clear, outspoken opinion, then immediately say, oh, your, your emotions, you are too emotional. You have a number of systems to deactivate this. And then you're talking about the emotions. You're talking about you're frustrated. You're talking about you have problems with your girlfriend or with your boyfriend and so on. And we're not talking anymore about the real issue. And I think this is nasty. I think this is nasty. This is... But I don't know how we can change it. <laughs> so it will take some time. Can I ask a critical question here? Because you talked about the, um, the, the technological solution of having a kind of a review system that you can give feedback with. But wouldn't that enable people to stay away even more from the confrontational and even more create a culture where on the surface everyone is nice to one another, but... In the background, in the star review system, there are all the nasty comments. Wouldn't that have a counteracting effect, do you think? Uh, I'm not sure I understand, but there is two things. Eh? Uh, one thing is that I think that we need really to have more more feedback from people. Mm -hmm. For instance, there is the we've been uh, we've been doing here a, a large a large. Uh, um, or let me make, a, make an example. This is something which happened to me at the beginning of this COVID stuff. It was these first online meetings. And there was, there was a fairly big meeting and there were about 20 or 30 people in the digital room. And there, the normal dynamic took place where a couple of big mouths that kept on monopolizing the entire discussion. And uh, just to make an example, they were talking to whatever, repaint every building in red. The different thing is what the chat function. That's the chat function. We don't have a chat function during the normal meetings because in the chat function, you cannot overrule each other. Everybody has the right. And then what you saw that a lot of people were participating and more important and more interesting, they were saying, no, let's do it green. 
So there was a mismatch between what the decision or the discussion and the following decision which were taking place in the open room and the meeting and the meaning, the, the opinion of most of the people in the chat function. So the first thing is really, and this probably the decision to paint the green instead of red, the probably is a better one. And in any case, there is more support for this. So the first thing is really to get more of this, this input from everybody in a chat function way where everybody counts the same. And I have the same space if I'm professor, if I have big mouth, if I'm white or if I'm a man, doesn't matter. This is, a, this is the feedback system. This does not change our culture of handling difficult things. And, uh, but I'm not sure how to, how to do this because this is for me, and this is an interesting boundary where I am, where I am is that the, having the responsibility and especially navigating a system which still, despite my 30 plus years of, of permanence and residence in this country, the, you don't want to get the label of criticast of critical person here. You don't want to be the get the label that you're always negative, that you want to open agreements again. Because once you get the label, then you're out. So I have to navigate uh, in finding the way. And this is for foreigners, for instance, very tricky business because a lot of these where this boundary is is very unspoken, is very much related to to cultural things and so on. So I have to to find my way to to open some discussions but not making things because otherwise I fall back and then I'm uh, so that part of being able to have discussions is is it it's a difficult issue but it's a, it's a big challenge because in words a lot of people say they like it but then in reality you see that things are it's different but there is a hope there is a lot of active people now so that's a nice thing now perhaps you can also share a bit of the of the things you've uh, encountered along the way of trying to find this balance. Uh, there are some things that you perhaps shouldn't do, perhaps something very specific about how you tackle this with Dutch or with academics or specifically technical academics. Uh, do you have some best practices for people who are listening who also want to address issues like we're talking about right now? Anything that you encounter and say, oh yeah, I tried this first, didn't work. Please don't try this at home. <laughs> or or please do try this at home, being more of the uh, glass half full approach. No, I don't have a set of guidelines. I, it's, I am not there yet. I think really one has to, you should not really play on the personal shape, play on the content. And this is what I was saying also before. It's really very important to leave space to people. And the sense, and this is really, I said, I mean, generally that, Again, we have some person responsible who do have a good heart, or they have, say, in Dutch, the, right, the heart at the right place. But then when they see the reality of this, they say there was, we had an academic culture committee, which was a produce, producing a report on some things, but was really not a revolutionary report. They presented this at the, at the management team of the faculty, and you saw, and everybody was enthusiastic to supporting this academic culture committee. But when the, 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 the recommendation came out, that these were really nothing special. I mean, it was, but they saw immediately, oh, now, wow, that's, no, no, no. <laughs> we're not so bad, but no, you should also underline the positive part and so on. And so, it is for humans, especially humans who have been growing in this organization, have been successful, is a tricky process, is a tricky process to, to start asking themselves. So this is the, 
I think the, the guideline was real. To me, the most important thing that is what helps me and should probably help speak with your peers. Discuss things with your peers to see that there is other people feeling the same, that you don't feel as the only one who has this doubt, who has this question and so on. And if you and don't accept that, don't accept that you that you don't want to say this, you don't do this, and another meeting you don't say this, and the other meeting you don't go. You should not accept this for yourself because this is the this builds to frustration, and this this is what we call micro harassment, micro aggressivity. Micro aggressivity has some property, namely that it doesn't disappear, piles up, and and if you. And if you want to work in this university, in a university, you need to have a decent level of happiness or so not too much frustration. And therefore, if you really love yourself, try to either to keep on talking with people, share these things, because this really makes your life a bit better. It's a bit of... <laughs> it's becoming a different domain, but this is really... This is, I think, talk more with your peers. With your peers. So that would be really useful. You mentioned microaggressions. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, microaggression is really, for me, it was really one of the big discoveries which I had when, when I started reading these things with this function. Micro, first of all, refers to the, to the facts, to the episode, not to the consequences. And uh, I make an example which refers to me, but this is happens quite often. Uh, for instance, you are... And, at the printer or at the coffee machine, and then I talk about uh, some things. For instance, the, the interesting thing that roles in the in university, there is in the university, there is never an election. There is no voting, and everybody is named. So the rector is named, the dean is named, and, and you have no clue if there is other people who wanted their role. There is no clue on why. There is no reporting on this. There's, there's, and I think I was discussing with the Dutch colleagues, and oh, this is but this is weird to me. It's strange, also because and this is the mistake which I made. Also, in other countries, do it differently. Then immediately, then it comes the thing. Oh, you don't want to. We surely don't want that. We do like in Italy or France. Now this is the episode. And why is this microaggression? How do you feel this? You feel this in your stomach because you feel uncomfortable. You say here there's something going, something strange going on. And this is the characteristic of microaggression. It's not a heavy sexual harassment. It's not an episode which is black and white. It's something which remains like this. And then, uh, and then uh, there is a number of consequences of this. First of all is that uh, you don't know what to do because you don't know where to report it because, uh, because immediately that person says, yeah, but this was a joke. And then you're stuck with a problem because you still your stomach says there's something fishy there going there. You're something which you don't like, but what to do? What do I do with this? Mm. And and this is really the the characteristic of microaggression that you don't know what to do with these things. I, am I creating a huge case because this is what you get afterwards if you report this? Oh, you make a big story out of nothing. And it, and it's still, but still your stomach keeps on saying, yeah, but there was something, you know, but you don't know. This puts you in a catch-22 situation where you know, am I overblowing things? And this is something which I get very often. You are overblowing, you're emotional and so on. Or is there a component of this? Now, the bad thing is that they say more going to the content is that in that case, I was 
first of all, rejected by the group, said, we don't want to do like you do in Italy, you do in Italy. So despite my 30 years here, I don't belong to this group. This is an exclusion, it's not inclusion. Then I'm flattened on a reality, which is not my reality anymore. Why should I defend or represent this country? I mean, also in a country that is 55 million people, why should I be bearing the responsibility of good or bad things they do? They put you in a different thing. And then on top of this, I said they divert the discussion. I was talking about how people are nominated. I'm not talking about Italy. I'm not talking about the Netherlands. I'm talking about what is about the process. And this is another way to divert things. The challenge here, and this is a difficult challenge, and how do we want to bring these microaggression effects on to somehow to the surface? And this is a big challenge. We still, we nobody has really good solution for this. There is a lot of studies. There's a lot of work especially on the on the piling up things. And, and this really is one of the things which I was saying leads to frustration, leads to people pulling back, because it's really, it's not a nice feeling when you feel half excluded, but it's not clear. There's nobody really excluding you, saying, no, you don't belong here, go away. That's not the case. It's really something which is, which is really in the domain. So that's something which we really have to think in a creative way. I think it needs some more study to find a way to, to map these things, at least to find out where are they taking place? Are there more taking place? Because one of the really this microaggression place things, they, they, they take more place in groups where there is a toxic culture. They don't, you don't have really individuals, but if in a group, uh, I see a typical thing when even Trump was said, oh, these are things people say after the, the football match. Now, these are places where there is a toxic culture. Right? There is too much or too high macho content and so on. So the interesting thing would be to map where are these places and to change to work on the culture because it's not something where you can work on the individual. This is not something you cannot report it to anybody because say, yeah, it was a joke. So this is the microaggressor thing. And I think this is extremely interesting. This is extremely important because of this. It brings to this lack of participation, lack of motivation, frustration, and lack of welfare, which is really a major problem, I think, in our university. Yeah, and, and you also clearly have personal experience with this as well. And now that you have more knowledge about uh, psychological safety in this context, uh, there might not be a one-size-fits-all solution for everyone, but have you coped with these situations that you just mentioned uh, differently? No, I'm still stuck. I'm still stuck because when I, once I tried to say, yeah, but I was not talking about this, it was what a, what a stupid remark and so on, then immediately you get, yeah, there was a joke. It was, yeah, surely it was not, you know, and then you're stuck. Yeah. So in this, is it I not diffusing the bomb? Uh, is it not diffusing the bomb? By, yes, it is. Yeah. Diffusing the bomb. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it might also be a solution, or did you just make a mountain out of a molehill of the situation? In that moment? no, I did not, because in this sense, I learned. But this is also a question of age. I learned to respect my stomach. But you know, talking about stomach in engineering faculty. You have to translate this in numbers because they have not quantified, but the stomach does re- uses a different language. So the so what I I think but I think it's really important that, that we don't and this is what try to speak with colleagues and so on, that we don't put ourselves immediately in a position say, nah, I, I'm really stupid. I made really a mount out of mold, so that was really my stupid reaction. I think 
it's somewhere in between. We don't have a way to report this, but it's not the solution saying, oh, really, I make really big a story out of nothing. I think if we manage at least to accept that there is this limbo, this terrain in between where these things are, have an impact, uh, but they're not themselves. The episode themselves is not something where you, with which you can go to court. You cannot go to the complaint committee. It will never work. So to accept that there is thing that is in between, I think that for me it's already a value. You just mentioned quantifying things. Do you believe that if you want to convince your colleagues here, being uh, technical-minded perhaps, uh, working in a research institute, being all about numbers before you draw conclusions, do you believe that it's important to change the, uh, the culture by also quantifying information about it? Sure, it is very important. It is absolutely very important, but I think it's not only for... In general, we need to, we need to have a bit of a quantitative understanding. Uh, having said this, uh, there is two issues. I think that there is two of something you really need to make better questions. I think we have to work more with experts on how to pose questions because too often the, the questions, they are, they are kind of, uh, I don't know how to say, I'm not a sociologist, so I cannot say it, but some, too often the questions lead to kind of obvious results. And therefore, I think there is to be. And then, obviously, the, the, the most important thing is to show what you do with these results. And this is the problem, is that you, can, you cannot really keep on asking. The reaction of the people, participants now, is typically say, oh, yet another survey. Mm -hmm. Yet another survey, because these DNI issues, these welfare harassment, there's been, uh, I don't know how many things, the, the report in terms of service have been done already 10 to 15 years of work pressure and so on. What has been done with this? Very little. So that's the that's the thing. You need to have numbers, but you need also to deliver on these numbers. You have to say something and not say, oh, this is the issue. There is a 10, 15% of not micro, but kind of middle to serious harassment. And then we ask ourselves, the dean, or the, we generally ask ourselves, what, what's behind this number? And we don't know. And in fact, the reality is that we don't know because... These are anonymous, and this is rightly so, but there is nobody really taking courage and say, okay, let me dig into it. Let me dive into this. Let me really understand what's behind these numbers. And this is the, uh, this is the problem of numbers. They bring you to a certain point, but they, they, are, they are numbers. They don't tell you more. There's not really from, they, they highlight the importance of something, but then you need to do really the exciting work in a way for me as a person to understand what is behind these numbers. This initial PhDs, it's an issue of supervisor, it's an issue between colleagues, it's an issue between male and female, it's foreigners, international, or what is really the issue? And there we, we are, there we stop, we cannot stop. So numbers are absolutely brutal, but we need to have more, more experts involved. We are, me too, I'm, I'm, a, I'm amateur, so I'm not a specialist, and this is really something which you have to put more money involved with specialists. There is a lot of people working on, even in the Netherlands, the University of Adbauta, many, there is really involved with specialists. really makes no sense that they keep on thing And show to the participant that you do something with these numbers. I would like to uh, move towards strategies. What, what, what are you trying to aim for at first? Let's say your goals for this year. What do you want to do with that one day a week you currently have? Um, what are you aiming for and what's your strategy so far? Good. There I have to say this has to do also with my person uh, and as a character, uh, 
I'm not a person of plans. And this is not, not saying it's a good thing. It's a, that's, a, that's how I function. And I could say that part of this is that the world has plans which have never been implemented. So I think, so I decided, again, the timing is that I was nominated less than two years ago. It took me, the first thing in which I decided is that I did not, I could not do it alone. And I needed to have a DNI team, we call it. And the DNI team, there is the nine or 10 representatives and so on, because I needed people to talk to. One for each faculty. I'm talking now about the faculty level, not the oh. department, not the university level. I'm talking now about the I'm diversity officer of this faculty. So this is what I'm talking about okay. here. Yes. I was nominated, say, less than two years ago. And then I decided I need to have this team. And it took me something like uh, 10 months to have the, the to develop terms of agreement. How would you want to work with this team? Who should be there and so on? And it took me 10 of the... Half of these months uh, were were needed to have this approved by the department, by the faculty management team. So the process is very slow. And this has to do with this is very hierarchical structure. So the poor dean, uh, everything goes. There is one person who decides in the in the Dutch system, and this is the dean, which means that the poor dean has a huge amount of things to do. You know, I don't really, and one of those, and obviously, it took some time. I did, having put this in place, I decided that we wanted to do some work, decide how we would like to work as a team. And there we decided to have really to focus on few projects that we would take time to develop. This is also the other thing. It's really to defend, to create and defend time to think. I think we don't think enough. Uh, the repetitive <laughs> thing. We, we are very much, this is really an engineering problem. And maybe a side of the Dutch optimism that we go immediately it's ex execution probably in doing things, you know, but saying, posing yourself fundamental question in the beginning and, and especially during the process is not something which is appreciated. <laughs> you have to consist, you have to go until the, having put this in place, then I start a discussion. So I was not making a strategy. I was not making a plan. What I see now, one year after what the beginning is that now it's time to do a plan. Now to start to strategy, to put things and especially to put in place a governance system. Because the situation is that, first of all, there is little energy invested. It's me one day a week. But I have no support, but also I have no knowledge support. So it would be good for us to have another person who has an expert. And then uh, there is no rules. We have only an advisory role, but there is no rules, for instance. Uh, one could think of a situation where the, the manager team or the dean is obliged to give me an answer within a month, for instance but some stricter guidelines so that things are not really dependent and left open. So we need to have a governance. And this is something which we want to, to, how many people are involved, what structure do we have in place, what are the rules of the games, and putting these things together, and then at the same time to develop some strategy, which is on one side is kind of ambitious, but the other side is close enough to reality. So they really perform then and deliver things. Because this is now the... This is now the really the difficult transition where we are now. The topic is on the table. The nice thing is everybody speaks about it. And this is really positive energy. But we need to deliver because these things go in waves. We are now really at the peak or the high position in terms of motivation, awareness, and so on. But my, my fear is that if we don't deliver, start delivering within one or two or three years, then things will disappear. And then, there's, then you need to have another wave, another peak. 
So I think it's really very important to deliver now. So the transparency, what we're doing and so on. So this is something which on which we're working now. And I think it's okay. After one year now, I have enough sense that I have a bit more ideas than one year ago. So to put this is what we're trying to do to develop a, a strategy plan and especially these guidelines. So these governance issues are very important now. Who are your collaborators in this scenario? In the faculty, there's this diversity team, and there is a couple of people who are very active in this. But these are in a, in a, in a career position different from the one I am now. I am a, I still have two years to retirement. I'm a professor, so I and I've decided for myself to dedicate most well substantial parts of my day or my career professional life to these what they call the human issues. And I have, and I can do this now. People who are associate professor or assistant professor cannot do this. And they have huge, huge, huge time limitations. So that's really another issue which we have. We do have, we must recognize, we must find ways in this university, find ways to recognize, acknowledge, and therefore acknowledge the time and creativity and intelligence people put in these non, non-performance oriented tasks. We don't have this. And this is a problem. And this is a big problem because these people would like to, but then when they go at their promotion, so on, this is not really looked for. This, so this is not considered. We need to find a way. This goes back to what we were saying before. If we are really interested in people putting time, energy, motivation, enthusiasm, creativity in something which is not writing papers, which is not, then we need to create them to give them something back because otherwise this will not come. And I have two or three people for them. For me, these are really precious, uh, precious, very, very valuable partners. And I think on the other side, I have my colleagues, the, the officers in the, in the other faculties, they're really very good discussion. And the, 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 the head of the central office of diversity is really also a good, good person. So this is really, for me, very interesting discussion. It builds trust that everything will be... Yeah, it does really give you a warm bath. It gives you a really good feeling that there is, a, there is a lot of things going on and we are trying different ways. Some faculties are more advanced than we are and so on. But on the other side, we're trying to develop our ways. So that's, that's a nice thing. That's a nice part. I see. Well, then let's uh, let's go to the closing question then, because our listeners are uh, mostly researchers in research institutes, whether it's in universities or elsewhere. If people want to take action themselves, they are not DNI uh, officers. They might not be as familiar with Dutch culture or with academic culture. They might not be a professor. Um, what can they do? Well, first of all, I think all universities now and all uh, all faculties in the Netherlands they have a diversity team. They have a diversity officer. There are some of them they are very strong at the university level. So reach out to your to find out what policies do they have, what imp- what ways of of communication they have. So search for these things because they are there. Most of the time, too often the people don't know about these things. This is what I was saying before. Of the entry points, there is so many, so unclear that most of the people, many, many PhDs or so, or, or young staff, they say, I don't know. And I, I know that's confused. I know that they, you start having rumors that they say, no, nobody works. Nothing works in this domain. The other thing is really talk with your peers. This, I think, is really important. Really share experience with your peers because this is the moment when individual experience, that kind of collective experience, that's the moment where the 
where things can start changing and sharing this sense of uncomfortable. This is really why I think feeling comfortable is really the best thing which you can have in an organization. This is why I say, ideally would like to work for an organization where really everybody feels comfortable. The stomach is busy with other things, which there is enough of things, enough things to do. And, and reach out to the people who are there and speak with your colleagues. This is really something which, um, which is important. How do you make people feel comfortable to talk about the things that make them uncomfortable? Um, what I do, what I do, is start, I often talk about uh, personal issues. That's making the bridge. Mm -hmm. That's making the bridge. Even in some meetings and. Uh, Yeah, there is some things which you can say about your uncertainties, your weaknesses, or things which are not really, you don't understand. And you see that often the faces are really, oh, oh, this is an interesting thing. Because I, from outside, I'm the, I'm a successful professor, you know. So in this sense, this is a way to make bridges, that you make these things, uh, yeah, open for discussion. And that these problems are relatable. People actually relate to yeah, each other's Yeah, and again, issues. you really have to, to, to show that these things are opportunities to improve and this is what healthy people healthy organizations should do look for ways to improve yeah. i mean this is what i think this is a nice person as person who's always trying to be curious to improve to become a better human being and this this should be the same thing for organizations is there anything we haven't mentioned that should be mentioned in our oh, many things but we'll do it another time <laughs> all right beautiful then shall we uh, bring it to a close Thank you very much. It was really a great opportunity and uh, very much looking forward to comments, uh, feedback, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, you will give an address or something with my name. So if people want to reach out, I'm only looking forward to this. We'll have to okay. do so. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. This has been the Human Side of Research, brought to you by Downside Up. We are curious if and how this conversation has sparked your interest. Send us your feedback and thoughts regarding this episode to podcast at downsideup.nl. And you can find Giovanni's contact details in the show notes. We would also love to hear from you if you would like to speak on the podcast or if you have suggestions for future topics or guests. And if you need any help with improving the work culture in your research team, please check out our website for various ways we can help. Until next time.